welcome back to Peta Unplugged for episode number eight. I'm Tabitha Badger, and today I'm joined by Professor Jeff Mosley. Jeff is a highly respected academic who's played major roles in all three of the federal inquiries investigating the restoration of Lake Peta. Jeff tells some pretty epic tales about how he accidentally found out the government and HEC's plan to flood Pedder two years before it was made public. He tells of flying over a flooding lake Pedder with Prince Philip of all people and talks us through the academic history of the campaign. Jeff's a personal hero and he's an extraordinary protector of wilderness and the wild values which characterise Tasmania. During research for my own thesis on the tourism and recreational value and management potentially at a restored Lake Pedder, I spent many hours going through Jeff's work. So it was an absolute honour to be able to interview him and have this chat. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This is episode eight of Pedder Unplugged with Professor Jeff Mosley. When I first arrived, I arrived at Lake Pedder 60 years ago, yes. And then, of course, 10 years later, the the whole thing was uh, being, the whole of Pedder was being attacked and and the drowning started. So that's 50 years ago, the, this year, the drowning of Lake Pedder, the original Lake Pedder started. So those are two significant dates, one for me and the other for, uh, I think, should be for everyone. 50 years on, we should be celebrating that anniversary, that terrible anniversary. Not an, The word anniversary isn't suitable, that terrible time. <laughs> and doing something about it. We've had 50 years to do something about it. Now's the time. I like to say it's um, a, that 50 year, it's a commemoration of what was, but a celebration of what will be, because inevitably in 50 years' time, we will have Lake Petter back, but we'd rather it's sooner than 50 years' time. <laughs> yes, after, well, 50 years have gone. It's been drowned for 50 years so um, long overdue, restoration is long overdue, particularly since the area is a World Heritage Area, that is the Pedder area, uh, the old Pedder National Park, well, the, the, the whole of the Huon Serpentine Empowerment is, is a um, part of the World Heritage Area, Tasmanian Wilderness World Heritage Area. So uh, it's a unique uh, area, in terms of its uh, physical uh, situation, and it's unique scenically too, of course. 60 years ago, you first went to Lake Pedart. You, I assume, would have walked in? Yes, we walked in from Port Davy, and uh, the idea was that uh, after staying there for a few days, a plane would pick us up, uh, and what actually happened was that the uh, plane hadn't come for three days, so, and they said that there was bad weather. Well, we didn't have any bad weather at Lake Pedder. And um, so we set off to walk the Port Davy track back, back to Medina. And we'd only gone a few uh, kilometres or so when a plane came overhead. And it was, it was able to take uh, part of our, of our group back to uh, Hobart. And the other half got picked up the following day. So that, that's actually what happened. But there are many, many questions um, about visitation and so on, recreation in the area, that will have to be answered uh, when the um, 
restoration so that it can be a true part of the World Heritage Area occurs. What was visitation like when you made those first few trips? Was it busy primarily bushwalkers or were people flying in and out more than they were walking? No, in March uh, 62, there were, there were very few other. We, there were no other people there when we were there, uh, even though it was still summer, <laughs> officially, I suppose. When we were there in uh, 67, that's when we uh, accidentally learnt about the plan to uh, drown Lake Pedder in the Hill on Serpent Dun impoundment. We were, that was quite uh, accidental in a way. We just happened to be spending the night in our tents next to an HEC cabin, and the man invited us to stay the night with them, and then in the morning he showed us the uh, map that would show that showed us how the um, Lake Pedder would be drowned under the Huon Serpentine impoundment. So we then, of course, passed that message on, and of course it was uh, announced uh, two years later that uh, Pedder would be uh, would be drowned. And then, of course, we've had three parliamentary inquiries into the uh, question of uh, restoring Lake Pedder. And unfortunately, nothing good has come out of either of them, any of them. When you first heard the news that Pedder would be, as the government put it, modified, and you relayed that to other people. Did they believe you? Because Pedder was declared a national park, so to destroy something that people assumed was uh, protected in perpetuity, how did the community respond to that? Yes, it was included in the Southwest National Park in um, December 1967. So we, it was, of course, still the Lake Pedder National Park in that date I mentioned, which when we were there, of August 65, 1965, we passed that information on, of course, and some of the ATC people or people in Canberra who were providing money for this development were not, not happy about it, that we had, uh, two years before the official announcement, were spreading the news that there was a plan to drown Lake Pedder, yes. So there was there was no uh, immediate campaign at that stage that I can recall. It didn't really happen until the until sixty seven when the plan to drown the lake was announced. And were you part of that campaign? What role did you play initially prior to the to the flooding? Well, I was I was involved in uh, some of those meetings in Hobart. Uh, some of them organised by uh, one of the HEC people. His um, <laughs> name just escapes me at the moment. Thinking about uh, Alega Strakanas uh, and those meetings, and I took part in some of those uh, meetings. But there, that's, of course, when, when the, it really got going, the whole thing really got going. I, I flew over the lake with uh, Prince uh, Philip and the head of the HEC, uh, we made a, a trip over the over the lake in uh, early 1973. I think that would have been about March 1973. And we flew over Lake Pedder. Uh, Prince Philip asked the head of the HEC, "Why on earth uh, did you do you need all this power?" 
and I can't remember, remember the reply other than they said something online, well, we need it for industry, or, uh, something along those lines. And then, we, of course, we flew on over the uh, Lower Gordon area where the plan for the next hydroelectric dam was. Then we flew down to, um, to Port Davy and then over Precipitous Bluff, and I explained the plan to have a big limestone quarry at precipit uh, near Precipitous Bluff. Oh, so yeah. obviously uh, Prince Philip <laughs> was not uh, amused by all of these uh, <laughs> all of these bits of information. So yes, yeah, so the, 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 obviously the campaign was well and truly underway, but you've got to remember that the um, the Tasmanian government had the support of the federal government. Uh, one thing that I tried to organise, but it didn't succeed, was uh, I, I took the head of two, um, sorry, two union uh, movements to meet Bob Hawke, who was the head of the ACTU, and they strongly advocated the, this is in uh, early 1973, strongly advocated that the uh, drowning of the lake end and that the original lake better be restored. Bob Hawke took the matter to a meeting of the executive committee of the ACTU and they said, well, it's up to the Tasmanian union movement and you've got to go, you've, it's up to the Tasmanian Trades and Labour Council. And um, uh, Lee Holloway and myself went to see Brian Harradine, the head of the Tasmanian Trades and Labour Council. Uh, uh, we met him near New Norfolk, which is where he lived, and he absolutely flatly refused the request that was coming from the ACTU Executive Committee. So there was a chance there, and of course there was a chance with all these uh, different uh, parliamentary inquiries, I should say. And uh, the last one that I, uh, I was involved with um, was a was a federal uh, inquiry, and at the last minute, uh, the inquiry was stacked by some pro dam people. In other words, they brought on a couple of of uh, extra uh, members onto the committee who they knew would be very definitely against this this dam. So there's obviously been a lot of activity, but we need to now get on with the job, realizing that uh, if this uh, this area is restored because of its great its unique significance, scenic splendor, this will be important not only for that area, but it will be. A, good symbol for environmental restoration across the whole globe. Absolutely, it will be. It's going to be the starting point that fundamentally shifts the whole yes. of society's attitudes towards Perfect. the natural world. Absolutely, it will be. Yes. So many people talk about the emotive, almost spiritual side of visiting Lake Pedder. Did you feel that when you were there? You've obviously seen an awful lot of Tasmania and it's so full of these rich and special places. But what was it about Pedder that made it so unique compared to anywhere else? Well, what was unique was partly the result of uh, research and um, 
finding out I wasn't, of course, the only one to do that. Uh, Kevin Kiernan, for instance, was very important in researching the the uh, the, the uh, well, global values of uh, world heritage, uh, particularly from a geomorphological point of view. And then we had other important people uh, researching the uh, fauna and flora, like people like uh, Dr. Ian Bailey and Dr. Sam Lake, and establishing the fact that uh, there were there were many end endemic species there, found some of them, found nowhere else on the planet. And uh, of course that added to the to the value, international value of the lake. And I believe some of those endemic species can be returned. Some of them may already exist. Uh, there of course there are other important um, things to research, including, for instance, uh, the restoration of the, of the land that's now currently under the Huon Serpentine Impoundment. The peat, of course, is still there. The uh, bottom grass vegetation will, I believe, be restorable, but that will need probably quite a bit of effort on the part of uh, volunteers. Uh, we've already had a similar activity in Britain and on peatlands, for instance, where uh, peatlands in the Peak District, uh, where um, the acid rain has destroyed the vegetation, uh, which is basically very similar to the button grass, it's called cotton grass. And uh, volunteer groups have been able to uh, restore the vegetation now that the um, we no longer have that acid rain that uh, we had when we had tremendous uh, uh, pollution coming from the uh, uh, power stations to, to the west, Manchester and so on, Stockport. Mm. Uh, that's all been uh, uh, tuned down, as it were. We've known, and so that work is proceeding. It will require uh, volunteers. There's also the question of the um, area which is around the edge of the impoundment, which has been affected by, wave, some, well, you could call them wave action um, that's cut through the peat. And uh, so we've got uh, sort of a rock-like vegetation there. I mean, on there's vegetation on the sort of bare rocks, although there is no vegetation on it, on that. Uh, zone that's only about a meter wide, uh, a meter to two meters wide. So there'll have to be some uh, restoration to allow on that area right around the uh, the whole impoundment, and that'll be a a good uh, indicator of the of of what was there. Yeah. So there are many things to to uh, to deal with, and we've got experts on peak restoration in. Uh, in Australia as well as uh, overseas. So I'm pretty sure that we'll be able to utilize that, uh, that expertise. As a part of the 94 Federal Inquiry into Restoring PETA, you wrote two pieces on um, the recreational accessibility to PETA and one particularly on the land management, which um, I've just spent a, a lot of time 
pouring over for my own thesis and it still uh, stacks up today, a lot of what you've written. So it's um, thank you for all the work that you've done and it's fantastic. Um, we, and you, you talked about planes before that previously you know, landed on the beach and there's so many iconic photos of Pedder and planes were really a part of that. But in talking to local small aircraft operators here, that, uh, that sort of thing, they say that now to, if they were to restore Pedder to fly in there, is very difficult because safety standards around beach landings have changed so much. Another thing was that costs for fuel at flying these days, it's so expensive that unless they can guarantee a certain you know, number of customers will pay a certain premium price, it's just not going to be practical for them. So they didn't want to advocate for that again at all, which was really interesting change in mentality. Yes, I think that's one of a number of big questions concerning the future of recreation in the restored area. With regard to the condition of the beach, which was exposed every summer and will be exposed again every summer when PET is restored to its natural state, investigations so far have shown that there's only a sediment that probably will be blown blown away and blown and blown into the peatlands so it'll be possible i think to for planes to land on the beach again but that is one of the big questions as to whether that will be still be uh, considered desirable from a conservation point of view and from a recreation point of view would that spoil the experience of this splendid natural area the other questions, important questions, are uh, to do with, uh, for instance, providing access via tracks. How will you get track access into the area? But I mean, the, the main the main question is based on the importance of restoring a world heritage site. So everything there should relate to that. If the answer is yes, and I certainly hope it will be for people who will. Um, look back and say that was all a big mistake drowning it everything all these other questions need to be answered in relation to maintaining the world heritage values of that important area if you look at google maps you can still see the track the sentinels track that goes up to the top of the coronets there it's all still you know having a single entry exit track even if it's just to a lookout while you let that area rehabilitate itself as naturally as possible before there's humans visiting the area or even any human intervention into it and just giving it the best possible chance because as you say this is world heritage and it's completely unique it's a miracle that it's even in a condition that's restorable at all the thing you'll get from from this and from bushwalking in the areas You'll be able to see it again from the Mount Anne, <laughs> the trek up Mount Anne when you get up there. You mentioned Prince Philip before, and I believe after that flight over Pedat, he went to Parliament House to meet Eric Rees, and it's rumoured yeah. then that they had a shouting match over the yeah. flooding of Pedat and how ridiculous it was. Do you remember anything about that? Yeah, yes, I was there. and. Yeah. Um, I flew down from Melbourne with Prince Philip and that was the plane we were going to use to fly over Pedder, the Gordon, Franklin, Port Davian, <laughs> Precipitous Bluff. And uh, yes, um, after this shouting match, as you called it, 
Uh, Prince Philip had a long discussion with the, with conservationists at the uh, at uh, the hall, which uh, is close is next to that place where the shouting match it took place. And the shouting match was in a in a nobody all people could hear was the shouting. They couldn't see what was exactly what was going on. Yeah. Uh, but that next to that is a is a big hall, and that's where Prince Philip sat down. And he asked all the conservationists and others who were assembled there, sitting in all these chairs, he asked for their opinion on all these matters, yes. And, of course, they, they gave it quite freely. So there you have it. He was very strongly in favour of uh, maintaining uh, the natural Lake Pedder. But, of course, this is, uh, I think this is March 73, the drowning that had virtually completely incompleted which is why looking down <laughs> prince philip said why do you want why do you want all this power why do you need all this power in the way only prince philip could say it of course <laughs> how many trips in total did you make to pedo i'm certain about two of them yeah. i remember taking my young family uh, to a point off as the where the Scots speak, Dam Road comes, it's clo very close. You've got the Huon River just on the on the western side, and if we crossed the Huon River, climbed up a spur. I showed my family where where Lake Pedder. They could still see Lake Pedder from there. But I've taken many parties to Scots speak lookout uh, after the um, drowning and shown them, uh, you know, what happened, uh, the impoundment, uh, explained the whole thing to them, yeah. So in the IUCN and ICOMOS 2015 reactive monitoring mission of the World Heritage Area, the Tasmanian Wilderness World Heritage Area, they stated that the dams impounding Lake Pedder were degrading the integrity of the World Heritage Area. It's my understanding in the World Heritage Convention, Tasmania is obligated to restore degraded sites. Yes, I, oh, they certainly uh, certainly have made, the IUCN has made, and the World Heritage Committee has criticised the, uh, the terrible uh, nature of this uh, destruction, or not destruction, but the, this uh, damage to a... Uh, a wonderful world heritage area. They've certainly done that. And uh, they, they passed a special resolution in, at a meeting in uh, Buenos Aires in 1994 about the horrible damage that has occurred in the destruction, or not destruction, rather the temporary destruction, I'll call it, of Lake Pedder. Yes, they didn't use that term. But anyway, they, I've actually got the wording somewhere here. Um, they called it the... Uh, an environmental disaster, what it was called. I actually uh, carried out a, um, made a, co a conservation outlook report for IUCN. I think it was 2016. But anyway, I, of course, I went to some detail about the horrible nature of this this uh, drowning of, of this wonderful World Heritage site, yeah. and the need to get on with the with the action of restoring it as far mm -hmm. as possible, isn't it? natural state. As we're speaking, this is the 50th year since Lake Pedder was flooded. How have you maintained your optimism for 50 years that Pedder will one day be restored? Oh, yes, yes, I certainly, certainly have. And, and that's, of course, for, for many years, I think I took my students on 20 trips to the Scottish Peak Lookout. 
and told them on the history of the uh, of the valleys that we were looking at, um, and also about the prospects for for recovery. And of course, you can win. Uh, how uh, the long term values of society can succeed. Uh, be considered more important over the short-term values of uh, hydroelectric industrialization. Well, that was episode eight of PETA Unplugged with Professor Jeff Mosley. It's a shame podcasts are on the audio and not visual because Jeff wore an epic old guy's rule cap when we recorded that podcast. It was an absolute honour to have Jeff on the show. During the episode, I made a small error when I referred to the 1994 Federal Inquiry. I'm referring to Jeff's work, which he prepared in 1994 for the 1995 Federal Inquiry, initiated by Peter Tyler's work from the 1991, when he showed that the beach and dunes were in fact intact under the impoundment waters. Anyway, that whole story is discussed in episode two with Hilary Bennell. So if you haven't checked that out already, be sure to do so. As always, if you'd like to learn more about the Lake Pedder campaign, head to lakepedder.org. I'm Tabitha Badger, and thanks again for listening.